Most of the vaccines we've received in our lifetime, we don't even remember. When we were first born, we received many of our vaccinations for things like measles, mumps, polio, and much more. We get these vaccines once, and usually don't even think about them later in life. But there may be one vaccine shot that we are quite familiar with. Because every single year, we are told we need a new flu shot. So what sets the flu apart from all of these other illnesses? How dangerous is the flu? And why do we need to get a new shot every single year? All of these questions and more in today's discussion on the sidelines. Joining us on the sidelines today to talk about flu shots is Alyssa Burroughs. Alyssa Burroughs is a biology and pharmacology major with a certificate in immunology, a master's candidate studying the impact of COVID-19 on allergy and immunology, and a science for everyone researcher. Thanks for joining us today, Alyssa. Thank you so much, June, for having me. Yes, and we're excited to have you too, because there's a question that I assume a lot of people have, but I also personally have, and that is, I had a vaccine when I was younger, and I've never heard about that vaccine again. I've never had to get that vaccine ever again. But for some reason, I need to get the flu shot every single year. And before we even talk about the science behind that, I think it's really important to talk about the flu in general, because I think a lot of people get scared by like the bigger diseases, like COVID-19 especially, is something that is taken over the media. But I don't think we talk enough about the flu. So the simplest question to start off this conversation, what is the flu? Yeah, so that's a great question. I also like to think that the flu is maybe under-discussed. Um, so the flu is a viral infection called caused by a virus called influenza. And at first, the flu might seem like a common cold with a runny nose, sneezing, and sore throat. But usually colds develop more slowly. We can kind of feel them coming on, whereas the flu tends to come on very suddenly. And although the cold can bother you, um, you usually feel much worse when you have the flu. And we tend to minimize how um, impactful the flu can be. So the um, World Health Organization estimates that the annual epidemic of influenza results in 1 billion infections. So that's about one-seventh of the global population. So it can be quite severe. You can be hospitalized. Um, you can die from the flu. Um, of course, being older or immunocompromised definitely increases your risk of that or being um, in poor health. But um, yeah, the flu can be quite serious. Yeah, that, that is concerning to hear about, especially since we don't get too much information about the flu. And the other part is we don't actually even know if everyone is getting the flu shot every single year. I, I assume there are people who don't. And since it is a yearly thing as well, you have to consistently get it. So, I mean, I'm sure a lot of people don't like to get their vaccines, right? You would probably agree, right? Yeah, I think there's definitely barriers in terms of getting your vac a vaccine of any sort. There's like time and maybe you'll feel like crummy the day afterwards and it just feels inconvenient or you don't see the reason why you need to get it because you're a healthy individual. Um, but the more individuals who are um, vaccinated against a certain virus can like build herd immunity and then protect both yourself and the community. So I think that's really important, but there's definitely factors about inaccessibility, whether that's maybe you don't have a pharmacy nearby, maybe you don't have the time for it, um, or maybe you just don't understand why it's important. So, Right. And I always remember as being a kid, I never loved those needles. I never loved getting those vaccinations. Right. Did you, do you have an experience like that at all? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I wasn't the biggest fan of vaccines probably until more recently in terms of uh, the needle aspect. So there's a funny story um, when the H1N1 a virus influenza pandemic happened. My parents um, took me and my brother to get the H1N1 shot because I had asthma, so I was in a higher risk category. However, they picked me up from Spanish class at the time and they lied to us about where we were going. So we like show up at um, the Frontenac Mall and we go into the public health um, thing. I think they told us we were getting pictures with Santa. Anyway, we did not get pictures with Santa. 
Um, so I probably cried and screamed and got my vaccine. And then um, my brother was even worse than me. He was two years younger at the time. So I think he was like eight years old. And he like cried and screamed and like ran out of there. And then my dad walked past my mom and just like shook his head like, no, he, he didn't get it. The nurse couldn't stick him in time before he ran away. So um, <laughs> yeah, we were a little bit dramatic, but I do think it's really important to get your vaccine. And I made the commitment to myself um, 2019 onwards before the pandemic even started to get my flu shot every year because I think it's important. Um, it protects yourself and it protects others. So, Right. And, and that's an awesome commitment. And, and that's also really important in terms of the question of, you know, we we have a lot of we know a lot of children. Maybe we were those children ourselves who really didn't want to get those flu shots. Uh, so why do we need to have those flu shots every single year then? Why do we need the flu vaccination every single year? Why can't we just get it once? Yeah, that's a great question, because there are vaccines, like you said, that um, you're, you get them once when you're a baby or you get them every 10 years and you're protected for your lifetime, um, which is really interesting. But for some virology, um, the influenza virus is what causes the flu. And this virus has a segmented negative sense um, RNA genome. So this means that the virus can like swap its genetic information with other different types of influenza virus. Um, so it can just like swap little genetic pieces and it can create really like new strains really easily. So there's two really important um, proteins on the virus. So they're called hemagglutinin um, and neuraminidase. So there's 16 different types of uh, hemagglutinin and nine different types of neuraminidase. Um, the neuraminidase one, the number kind of changes depending on who you cite. Um, and then the, um, both these proteins allow the virus to attach, enter, and eventually leave the cell after it's gone through its life cycle, creating more viruses. The reason why these two proteins are important is because they are what's called the correlate of protection. So these are what our bodies like identify as the proteins of um, these viruses that you're like, hey, that's not me. We need to fight this. So those are what they like identify, and it creates a really strong immune response. Um, so different viruses have different targets. So for COVID-19, um, during the SARS pandemic in 2002 to 2004, we identified uh, that spike protein that you've probably heard lots about as the correlate of protection. Uh, so the spike protein doesn't change as much for the uh, SARS-CoV-2 virus um, or any um, SARS viruses, but um, for the influenza virus, the hemagglutinin and the neuraminidase changes quite frequently, um, which is why the vaccine has to be reformulated every year. And it's actually reformulated twice a year because it takes six months to make enough vaccine for the winter season, and the winter season tends to be um, when the flu virus spreads around, probably because we spend more time inside, um, it's colder out, um, so you spend more time in contact with people in close spaces, um, is one of the hypotheses why. So we make a new vaccine every six months, one for the Northern Hemisphere and one for the Southern Hemisphere. Um, and yeah, these proteins can change even between those two hemispheres over the six months as well. That seems very difficult to keep up with in general too, just because the targets that we need to like destroy or kind of deal with these uh, particular uh, like influenza viruses keep changing, keep mutating. Uh, so yeah, exactly. How are we able to keep up with this? How are we able to figure out what the next one will be or what is the process that these scientists or vaccine developers go through? Yeah, so I um, posted on my Twitter when I was uh, doing research for this podcast about keeping up with the influenza virus is more work than keeping up with the Kardashians. Um, so as part of the World Health Organization's global surveillance and response system, which began in 1952, um, scientists at 144 national centers across 114 countries, so that's a lot of countries, um, monitor influenza cases. So they just do this through like swabbing um, and genetic uh, testing of those viruses. And this data is used to predict uh, the strains that will likely circulate in the next flu season, 
um, and create a vaccine starting six months before they expect that season to begin, just because of that delay that I mentioned with vaccine production. And of course, the virus can, like the influenza virus, can always throw us a curveball outside of something we initially predicted, just with like creating a bigger change in its genome through like it'll just swap its genetic information while it's doing its recombining process. Um, yeah, so this is why the WHO recommends a quadrivalent vaccine. So this allows us to have protection against four different um, kind of heat, like different viruses, like influenza strains. Um, so this year we have the H1N1 strain in our vaccine in Canada, the H3N2 strain. And for our um, B influenza viruses, we have the Washington strain and the pocket influenza B strain as well. So it sounds like a lot of things that the process includes. There's so many countries involved, so many scientists involved. And yeah, it seems like it is somewhat of a guessing game, to be completely yeah, honest. Bit, like, I think it's become more of like an educated uh, guess and like lots of data crunching and modeling. I'm sure in the beginning it right. might have been a little bit more. Um, and I, I hope that our estimates are getting better every year. But uh, I think that's hard to say because it is, it is just an estimate. And these viruses, um, as my virology teacher would say, we can't an anaphomorphize them. Like they don't really have goals and dreams and like reasons why they're doing things. They're just responding to pressures and selection and just what's happening with them so well that's all, all very good work and so the last question i have for you is what does the future for flu vaccinations look like for all those people with needle phobias for all the people who don't like getting a vaccine every single year is it possible to make a universal flu shot so that we can get it maybe once every 10 years once every five years uh or at least just not one every single year um yeah, so that would be really promising. Um, and one of the most promising targets um, of the regions that identify uh, that doesn't change as much as the uh, hemagglutinin and neuraminidase um, is a group from uh, Mount Sinai is targeting a conserved, so a region that doesn't mutate as much or as quickly on the influenza virus called the stock domain. It's actually just found below the hemagglutinin um, head that's used for attachment and entry. And after phase one trials, participants who received um, the vaccine produced high levels of antibodies against the um, hemagglutinin stock domain. Um, and there's several other uh, strategies in uh, trials as well for development. Um, and there's also some exploration for mRNA vaccines uh, for the flu. Um, and these have actually been in um, research since 1993. But because of um, how fast the COVID-19 vaccine came to market, because of all this previous research that have been done on mRNA vaccines, hopefully it'll allow for this uh, mRNA flu vaccine to go forward. So it could be quicker in production. It could provide longer duration of immunity, potentially. Um, it could provide better response to new strains because it's more of like a, a plug and play mechanism, per se, where you plug in the mRNA that you want it to produce. Um, we might see an overall improved efficacy. Um, could be a potential for a universal flu vaccine. Um, and the ones in development um, target the hemagglutinin uh, head that we talked about before, the newer aminidase protein, as well as the hemagglutin stock as well. And then there's one in trial that doesn't have a disclosed um, protein of interest right now that it's looking at. Yeah, it looks like there's a lot out in the future. And I think it's, um, it's a challenging virus. So um, hopefully we can figure it out. And I'm sure once we figure it out, we'll be like, how did we not think of that collectively, the we as the scientific community? And hopefully we'll get there one day. Thank you so much, Alyssa, for sharing your insights, your great, great information in this topic. And it was a great, it was a great time to talk to you. Thank you so much for having me, Jude. And yeah, I hope if you haven't gotten it already, including our listeners, I hope you uh, go out and get your flu vaccine. Thank you again for tuning in. And remember to subscribe for more conversations and some insightful answers to your questions about the science impacting your world. 
If you want to learn more about vaccinations, our immune system, or any of the other topics we've talked about on the show, visit us on Instagram, Twitter, or TikTok at sci for everyone and on our website at www.scienceforeveryone.ca. On the Sidelines is a podcast by Science for Everyone. It's produced by Sam Marchetti, Connor McLean, June Kim, Taneshwari Rajendran, and Cheryl Nguyen. On the Sidelines is sponsored by the University of Toronto's Student Engagement Grant.